So, uh, not sure about you, but uh, one of the greatest fears I had, uh, well, I wish I could say I'm completely free of it, but, uh, but certainly it's, uh, it's become less and less as the, the years have gone on, but was uh, of being exposed. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever had this thought when I, when I came into the church and there was uh, the teaching around we're going to have to give account for our lives uh, before God one day, uh, which, which I believe uh, will happen, but uh, just how that would play out. This is how it would happen in my head. I, I feel like I would arrive there, and then I would have this moment where uh, all of my not-so-great choices uh, would play out in a movie, and uh, I'd be sitting there in the front row with Jesus and God the Father, and I'd be having to give explanation uh, for every story, and all I could ever pray was, God, please let it be the highlights of, uh, like, the, the, the short highlights of the Proteus package, not the trilogy of Lord of the Rings and four hours long each movie, uh, just that I can get out of there because of my fear of exposure, uh, because of the shame that I would feel. I don't know if anyone else had that kind of movie playing over in their head. I don't know who I'm talking to. Yeah? We kind of all have that fear of being exposed, of uh, people knowing the innermost parts of our thoughts. Uh, and uh, we, we, we have these times where we're like, oh, shucks, I really shouldn't have thought that. Or maybe I shouldn't have even done that. Uh, and we just wonder if anybody's ever going to find out. Uh, I have always admired people that seem to be able to walk around shame-free. Uh, so in modern-day vernacular, there are shameless people. People that just seem to get away with stuff and not care what other people think. And there's something appealing to that. Uh, I was uh, at university many, many years ago, and I had some mates who were identical twins. Now, they had happened to go through five years of high school with me and four years of varsity with me. And after nine years, I still couldn't tell them apart. Uh, that's how identical they were. Uh, we'll call them Paul and Mark. That was their real names. And, uh, but we'll call them Paul and Mark for the story. And uh, uh, it came to what, what would, we, we would live in a residence. Uh, and so we were, and every year at the, at the end of the year, there'd be an annual formal gala dinner, uh, which did cost an arm and a leg. Uh, so thanks, mom and dad. They're not here today, but thanks for covering the cost of that. But these twins uh, came up with a plan. And so one of the guys, Paul, uh, had just recently started dating a lovely young lady. And so Mark went to Paul and said, hey, listen, bud, um, I have a plan. And so Paul says, yeah, tell me. He says, listen, I, I, I feel like we can both enjoy this evening. And we can both enjoy your young lady, friend. And I don't have to pay for it. And so what we'll do is I will hide in the bathroom, and just every now and again, why don't you go to the loo, we'll quickly swap clothes, catch me up on the story, and then I'll go back for a few minutes and be able to carry on the conversation, and then I'll come back in not so long. This happened, and it happened about six times in the evening as I got to watch shameless brothers doing this incredible act of the great cover-up of the story, where one brother got to enjoy the banquet, got to enjoy the evening with incredible relationships uh, just because he took on his brother's clothes as they swapped them in the bathroom. And, uh, I, and they never got caught. And so they were never exposed uh, outside of this moment that I'm sharing on the stage. I won't tell you their surnames because uh, one does live in Durban. Uh, so if you come across a Paul or a Mark, you're going to wonder if they've got an identical twin and uh, whether this is part of their story from 25 years ago or whatever it was. 
But uh, as I was preparing my message today around exposure and shame, I, it was re- I was reminded of their story of the great cover-up of uh, one brother being able to enjoy something that he shouldn't really have had access to uh, because of his other brother and because they would just swap clothes. And, uh, and it got me thinking about the great cover-up of Jesus and how when we put on Jesus, we get to enjoy a banquet, we get to enjoy a dinner, we get to enjoy relationships that we would never otherwise have had access to. It's kind of like shameless. It's scandalous. It's this, how do we get away with that? How, how, do, how do I get to enjoy company with you and you get to enjoy company with me and none of us paid the price? How do we get to enjoy these grand occasions? How do we get to enjoy a gift that walks into our building today? And I'm so sorry, I know you came here just to be refreshed, but and there's a moment that you happen to arrive two minutes late to, but it caught my eye, like, like God's orchestration. How do we get to enjoy that? And you didn't pay the price, and like, we just get to enjoy it. And so today I want to, again, in this, in this kind of moment of January, as we are even reconstituting, uh, reconstituting what the church looks like in 2022, as John preached two weeks ago, that 2021 lenses don't work for 2022. We've got to update. We've got to, we've got to know what God's calling us to in this moment. We've got to know what it looks like, what shape we take. As we're finding ourselves, many of us have, have been isolated and we don't quite know, are we welcome back? Are we able to enjoy the banquet here? Are we able to be part of community? And, and that's so, you know, I'm, I'm narrowing it to a very small uh, kind of section, a small moment, but we, we get the picture. And so I want to talk to us today about the greatest cover-up, where we get to put on Jesus Christ and what that means for us, and with particular reference to a Father's blessing. I want us to know at the start of 2022, as we look at the lens, as we, as we come out of survival mode, as we come out of isolation mode, as many of us are still fighting for survival, what it means to live under the Father's blessing. What does that look like? How do we, take, how do we access it? How do we take hold of it? What, is it real? And so we're going to base ourselves in, in a story out of Genesis chapter 27, verses 2 to 4 and 14 to 29. And, uh, and what the story is, is there's a man called Isaac, and he has two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau's the older one. And uh, Isaac has uh, a bit more of an affinity towards Esau uh, in, I don't know if we're allowed to say it, it's not really PC right now, but, but it's okay, I got the microphone. Uh, it's it, it, kind of like the more manly man. He would hunt the game, he would, he, he would be out in, the, in, in those, and it would be meat, and it would be all of that stuff. Uh, and then his brother Jacob was more of the homemaker, uh, kind of like a vegetarian, you know, and... Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Come on, guys. Work with me. Work with me. Not judging you vegetarians. I'm really not judging you vegetarians. <laughs> I just said it for a laugh. But this story is, uh, is of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, one who was favored by his father and the other one who lived under the shame of not being the blessed one or the favored one. 
And so we're going to see what we can learn out of this story as we go into 2022. And so Isaac, who's the dad, said this, I am now, he's speaking to his son Esau, I am now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my, my blessing before I die. And what happens is, is uh, Isaac's wife, um, Rebecca, hears this. Uh, her favorite was Jacob. And so she runs to Jacob and says, listen, this is what's going to happen. The blessing is going to, your father's going to give the blessing. But I have a plan. I have a plan. What we're going to do is, why don't you go out, go and get some lambs, and I'm going to make you some stew. And, uh, and then we, we see Jacob. He says, but, but I'm, I'm not a hairy man. My, my brother is hairy. How, how are we going to get this? Rebecca says, just go and do what I say. And this is what we're going to, where we're going to pick up the story in verse 16. And so he, Jacob, went and he got them, the lambs, and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her oldest son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands uh, and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. And so effectively what's happened here is Rebekah has clothed Jacob in Esau's clothes. He went to his father and he said, My father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? He's a bit confused because the voice doesn't quite sound. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Your firstborn, how scandalous. Here's a deceiver just saying, hey, I'm, I'm the older brother. I'm coming to steal the blessing. He doesn't say all of that. I've done as you've told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how, how did you find it so quickly? Well, the Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come here so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him, and he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, and so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he said. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. And as Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine and drink, and then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And as he went near and kissed him, when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, because he was dressed in Esau's clothes, he blessed him. And he said, ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And what happens after this story is Esau comes back and prepares the game and then goes to his father. And the father is now very confused and says, but I've just given the blessing. Blessings were such a big deal in those days that Esau gets on his knees and begs his father. He says, Father, is there no more blessing for me? And the father says, I'm sorry. I've already handed out my blessing. And so in the human lineage, there was one blessing for the oldest son. And Isaac was deceived, but he passed on the blessing, which stood the power of words. 
And so today, we are unfamiliar with blessings. It's not part of our culture to bless. And so I want to just pull us into something of the story, something of the significance, something of the weight of the blessing of a father. And so theologians and historians will tell us, uh, as we read through the book of Genesis, multiple fathers blessing sons, fathers blessing sons, passing on, passing on, passing on. And blessings principally had three primary uh, uh, kind of impartations. One was an encouragement. The, the blessing would encourage the son, from the father to the son. The second would be the inheritance. It would define the terms of the inheritance. And third, it would be a prophetic declaration over the future of the boy. And so when a father came to bless, there was encouragement, there was inheritance, there was a future, a, a, a prophecy over the future. So this was longed after by sons. And that's why the oldest son, that's why the youngest son wanted to, to steal the blessing of the older son. He wanted to live in the inheritance. He wanted the future. He wanted the blessing. He understood that. Today, I think we're just a little bit too frivolous. We're too, because we don't understand the blessing, we don't understand the blessing of the Father on heaven over us. Because we don't understand the weight of encouragement and inheritance and prophetic over our future. We don't understand that. And so today I want to just remind us, I want to bring us into that story. Some of you may hear some things for the first time. Some may just need a reminder of what it is. So that again, as we come into 2022 with our lenses, we can understand the greatest cover-up of all. Was that as Mark lived in the blessing, in the cover-up of his brother's clothes, he got to enjoy a banquet he didn't pay for. As Jacob got to live in the blessing that was rightly due Esau. Because he put on Esau's clothes, so we get to live in the blessing of a father in heaven who doesn't just have one blessing for one son, but for all the sons that come when we put on Jesus Christ. And so let's look at some of these, uh, some of these things. Let's look at encouragement. See, the Scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it's not going to come up on the screen, I'm just going to read it, that we have salvation in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And just how encouraged do you feel? There's no condemnation for you. You are free. You are free. I know that for a great many of us in this room, we know those words. And yet they haven't truly penetrated to the very core of who we are. If we were to truthfully look at ourselves, there would be those of us that still feel condemned for some of our actions. We still don't feel free. We are not shameless. We don't walk around pulling off a stunt like Mark did with Paul. And yet he feel, felt like he could because it was his brother. Shameless. Imagine walking around shameless. Imagine walking around without the fear of exposure. Imagine sitting at a banquet table that you didn't pay for and not feeling condemned for doing it. This is the encouragement. There is now no condemnation. And so how did this take place? 
How did, uh, it says here in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, because the world is separated from God by sin, men are separated from one another through sin's effects. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so when we go back and we just look at this encouragement and we look around putting on Jesus Christ, we, we go back to the story of the Israelites, so the people of God. And they had been held in captivity. They were held in bondage. They were condemned to slavery by the Egyptian people. And God says, this is my moment. I'm going to set them free. And there's a whole, many of us will know the ten plagues, right? The story. You might not know exactly which plagues there were in the ten, but you know there were ten plagues. And uh, there's this moment that God's going to set his people free. And as he is setting his people free, there's this last plague which comes. And, and God says to all the Israelite people, hide in your house. Take a lamb, slaughter it, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and then the angel of death will pass over your house, and you will be free. So many of us will know that story. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. What many of us probably haven't stopped to think is when the angel of death passed over, he didn't stop to look who was in the house. He just wanted to see that the blood of the lamb was on the, do on the doorpost. And so, lady... Uh, Gentlemen, I want to tell you today, I want to tell you that if we by faith have taken hold of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, so that can be quite awkward language, I think, today. We throw it around in Christian circles and you're like, whoa, that's very religious language, the blood of the Lamb. But it's the truth. It was the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost that saved the Israelite community and the angel of death passed over. And then behold, Jesus comes, who is the greatest Lamb, and by His blood we are saved. So we read in the Scriptures. What does that mean? Does it mean by faith when we put on Jesus Christ, when we take hold of His life, it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. You can't be exposed for it, and even if you're exposed for it, there is no condemnation for it because the blood has covered you. And so when we put on our older brother, Jesus Christ, when we put him on, when we put him on, and the Father comes and feels our hands, it's like, well, you, you, you talk like Richard, but you smell like Jesus. It doesn't matter the condition of your heart. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. As long as you're in the house and the blood is over the doorpost, you are free. There is no condemnation for you. That is the encouragement that comes. See, God takes us on through His Son, Jesus, and therefore the blessing of the Father is heard. As the Father blesses Jesus, as we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my Son, whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. And so when we're in the house of Jesus, when we are clothed, with Jesus, you can picture all the metaphors, you, you get the picture here. When we are covered by the blood of Jesus, what the Father says is, you sound like Richard, but you smell like Jesus. Therefore, this is my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Will you hear that today? We do not enter 2022 condemned. We do not enter it oppressed. We do not enter it under slavery bound to our pasts. We hide in the house of Jesus. And the Father looks upon us and the encouragement is, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. I am well pleased with you. The next part of a blessing is the inheritance 
and there's a definition of the Father. This is your inheritance. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us, these are big words, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. And He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. I want to take a moment to just describe and so that we can have a deeper understanding of adoption. Again, those of you that have been part of this church for any length of time, you know that that is deeply on my heart. Physically, uh, practically, uh, we have two children that entered into our family through adoption. We don't call them adopted kids. That's just a means of getting in to our family. But Paul here writes to this church in Ephesus, and he's trying to explain to them their position. He's trying to explain to them the blessing of the Father. He's trying to explain to them the inheritance. And so of all the words he uses, he uses this, you are adopted as children. What's the big deal? Well, Roman culture was very different to Jewish culture. And in Ephesus at the time, under Roman rule, uh, he, was, he was talking, Paul was talking to mainly Gentiles. Who are you and me? Guys that weren't born uh, Jewish. And so we get grafted into the family of Israel, of Jews, but uh, we, we kind of sit outside of this. And so this is our story because by birth, we're not part of God's chosen people. But by the blood of Jesus, we get grafted in, okay? So we, we're all good with that. So in the inheritance, there's this thing of adoption. And so what happens is uh, when uh, in Rome, uh, there was this kind of saying, uh, for parents, that when you have a child, you get what you get and you don't get upset. That's modern vernacular, right? You get what you get and you don't get upset. It was possible under Roman law to rid yourself of your child if you did not like them. If they had a birthmark that you didn't like, you could get rid of your child. If there was a physical, uh, a physical ailment, you could get rid of your child. If they were slow to learn, get rid of your child. You could do that under Roman law. And so what people would do uh, is to try and secure their bloodline is wealthy Roman citizens would go and choose somebody, uh, choose an orphan who had maybe lost his parents in war or for whatever reason, they would go and choose and they would adopt a child. And their inheritance would pass on to the adopted child. And in Roman law, once you had adopted a child, you could never get rid of them because you chose them. Birth child... You get what you get and you don't get upset. Adoption, you choose. And so in Roman law, the adopted child had greater privileges, had greater strength to being in the family than a birth child. And so Paul writes here, you are adopted as sons. Not as though you were born to. Adopted because it was more powerful. It meant something more to the people. We've lost so much of the art of understanding the scriptures and context. And so we are adopted, friends. That is not secondary. That is not not the preferred means. In Roman culture, when this was being written, that was the preferred means. You wanted to be adopted because your inheritance was secure. 
As a birth child, you lived with the constant threat over your life of being discarded or disowned at any point in time. You did one thing wrong, they could disown you and your inheritance wasn't secure. But if you were adopted, the inheritance stood. This is our position. This is our inheritance. And once you were adopted, there were things that came your way. You got given the family ring. You got given a new name. And with that family ring, the, the insignia on it came the, the ability to use the, the, the money, the wealth of the family that you were a part of. It came with privileges. It came with responsibilities. It came with a new home. And so when we hide ourselves in Christ, when we put on Jesus Christ, when the blood of Jesus is over the doorposts of our lives, I'm really mixing the stories, you can understand it all. When we are found in Jesus we have a new home, friends, and our new home is not the decision we made yesterday. The new home is not the, the crisis and the exposure of yesterday. It's not the shame of yesterday. It comes with a prophesied and better future, which we're going to get into. But this is what adoption means, friends. This is a big deal. Too many of us are still bound to our captives, not because we are truly there, but because in our minds we haven't yet understood the gift and the blessing of the Father. And so the inheritance is ours. We get given a new home. We're not of this world. There is a new kingdom that we are a part of. There is a new name. There is a new family. Friends, I want to I tell you, this, this is a gift from God, community. Too many people still live as though their blood family is the all-important. I want to tell you that the family that Jesus has bought is more important. I'm not now promoting going and disowning blood family. I'm not, that's not what I'm preaching here. But I think for many of us, we need to raise our, our view of the spiritual family. It's too easy, come and go. That's not what Jesus died for. You've been adopted into a family, and so when God puts you in a family, you should go out of here in a box. Not this easy come, easy go. It's not what family is. So let's view our spiritual family under the inheritance of God our Father. It is remarkable that the adopted son should have a stronger position than the son by birth, and yet it was so. Yet it was so. That is our position and the inheritance that comes with that. Let's take a moment and look at the third part of a father's blessing, which is future. See, because in Christ, we get to enjoy a new way of life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, and the power for this new life in Christ is made possible by God's Holy Spirit. We read in Romans 8, 12 to 13. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So let's read Romans 13, 11 to 14 as a prophetic declaration over the future of those of us adopted as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, living under the blessing of the encouragement, the inheritance, and the future that He marks out for us. Is that okay? So we read it through that lens. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time. 
that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We are children of God if the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, is over the doorposts of our lives. And therefore, we, we dress like we are children of God. We live like we are children of God. We fight like we are children of God. We don't live and dress and fight as though trying to earn a place in His family. We live and dress and fight from the position of family. Friends, if you are committed to Jesus Christ and you find yourself in this family of Anthem, I will go to war on your behalf. Because that's what family is to me. You do not have to earn your right into this family. The only expectation is that you see it in its rightful place and in its rightful measure. So how do we put on Christ? How do we put on Christ? And this is, I'm kind of uh, answering this still in the context of the future, the, the, the prophetic future that our Father calls out for us. Well, we read a couple of times in Scripture about faith, hope, and love. They're not just nice words. They're not just kingdom words. They carry meaning. And so faith comes from hearing. And so we put on Christ Jesus by listening to the Word of God about Christ Jesus. Hope comes from promises. So we put on Christ by remembering the promises of Christ. Love comes by the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so we put on Christ by calling to mind His beauty and His mercies. So there are these practical outworkings of how we put on Christ. How do we know if we're making progress? Well, we read here in Romans that the prophetic declaration of the Father's blessing over us is, we're now of the light, not of the dark. We're of the light, not of the dark. And so he mentions three things here. And, and they just kind of, they sample and they represent kind of three core areas of our life. And so you can read it narrowly. It applies narrowly, but it also applies in a far greater measure. And so he says, if you want to know if you're making progress and putting on Christ, if you want to know if you're hidden in Christ, then our life in the light, not in the dark, it's, it's stay away from orgies and drunkenness. Stay away from sexual immorality and sensuality. Stay away from quarreling and jealousy. And these three things kind of represent three parts of our lives. And so there is orgies and drunkenness. Effectively, what that does is it separates mind and body. If we're taking substances, if we're, do, if, we're, if we're engaging in Netflix to try and shut off our minds, we, we're disengaging mind and body, which God has joined together. God has put mind and body together. And so, yes, there is the, the very real, accurate, narrow sense of the Scripture in terms of don't participate in orgies and drunkenness, and there is the broader context of don't do anything that separates our mind from our body. That's the darkness. The prophetic future for you is you're of the light. You can be a whole being. A whole being. 
And then it goes on, don't give in to uh, sensuality and sexual immorality. Uh, I think it was those words. Uh, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. And so it talks about uh, the, the marriage covenant in the narrow sense of the word, but in the broader sense of the word, it's, it's how we respect and honor those, covenant, those covenantal relationships. And so whether you're married or single, there is still this respect for covenantal relationships. Dare I even say it goes a little bit further into how we respond as a church, as the bride of Christ. We're of the light, not the dark. And so the prophetic future, the prophetic blessing over us is that we no longer have to participate in the stuff that breaks marriages, that breaks covenant relationships apart. And then the third one is this, not in quarreling or jealousy, which speaks obviously of the, of the direct quarreling and jealousy uh, amongst individuals, but it, it speaks of a, I am more important than you. I read, uh, uh, I was at a memorial yesterday, and a guy was wearing a t-shirt, which said, um, it said, I, I'm not arguing, I, I'm just letting you know why I'm right. And I, and I loved, I loved, <laughs> I loved the shirt I, I needed for a meeting I'm having in a couple of weeks, so it, it, would, go, it would be quite appropriate. But... Uh, <laughs> I just thought, is it like that's the, we're free from the human condition of having to be right. We're free from the human condition of having to have a power play. We're free. We, the, the prophetic future for us is we don't have to live in quarreling and jealousy. We can live whole together so, so we can have a whole relationship with ourselves, mind and body. We can have a whole relationship with our covenantal relationships, which is us as a church uh, with our spouses, or if you're single towards, if you're, a, uh, if, if you're a younger person, single towards a spouse, how you respond to your body right now, how you treat your future spouse. Uh, and I know that there's some people that are a little bit older and may not have a spouse into their future, but how we continue to see Jesus as our spouse. And then how the church in our covenantal relationship. And then the third, quarreling and jealousy, is that we don't have to be better than. And so it just kind of directs. We're free from having to prove to everybody out there. All relationships are governed by the prophetic declaration by our God that you are blessed and you have a future. And it's in the light, not the darkness. You can be whole in your relationships with everybody. You can be whole in your covenantal relationships. You can be whole with yourself. That is the prophetic future that I have for you, declares the Lord. You following me? So friends, as we just kind of close up today, the greatest cover-up of all, the greatest cover-up of all is that our older brother, Jesus, would allow us to put him on, to stand before the Father, to get into a banquet that we didn't pay for, to have relationships that we shouldn't have had access to. As Mark was able to enjoy that because of his brother Paul, as Jacob took it from his brother Esau as he put Esau on, and as we can put on Jesus, so that when the Father says, you sound like Carmen, but you smell like Jesus, you sound like John, but you smell like Jesus. We live in the blessing, the encouragement that there is now no condemnation and we are free. No more shame, no more exposure. There is an inheritance. You are adopted 
your inheritance is secure. Secure, secure, secure. New name, new family, new home, rights and privileges, all yours. And there is a prophetic future which says you can be whole with yourself, you can be whole in your covenant relationships, and you can be whole with all of humanity when we are hidden in Jesus Christ. What are we to do? We're to call to mind the words of God that awaken more faith in Jesus. We are to call to mind the promises of God that awaken our hope in Jesus. And we are to call to mind the beauty of Christ that awakens our love to Jesus. I want to pray for us. As we've heard this word, as we've received this word. I want it, this is so crucial, friends, that this gets into the fabric of our being. And so I am, I am going to ask us to close our eyes, and, and I'm going to do it for a reason. Because people that do feel shame do feel exposed. And I don't want to expose anybody here. I don't, want to, I don't want to add exposure to what you already feel. But I do want to declare the freedom of God. But I want to know who I'm doing that for. And so I am going to ask us all just to respectfully close our eyes. If you are feeling shame in this room because of your past, because of your present, I, I would so appreciate you just raising your hand so that I can see you, so I can know who I can pray for. Because the Father has a better word over you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As we keep our eyes closed, as we remain in this moment, I want to pray for these people that have raised their hands. We want to thank you, Jesus. That you were prepared to go through with the most scandalous of plans. That you would agree to swap out your life for ours so that we may have access to our Father in heaven, to the greatest banquet of all. I want to thank you that what that means for us is that our pasts no longer count against us. You did not give consideration to who was in the house. You only gave consideration to the blood that was on the doorposts. And so thank you that there is now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And so for these men and women who have raised their hands, we pray. We pray by you, Spirit of God, that you would come and minister to their minds, minister to their hearts, minister to their souls, minister to them, God. Set them free from the shame and the exposure that they feel. Set them free. There is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. May those words be spoken again and again over their minds. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no shame. There is no exposure that can cause shame. Because you, Jesus, have covered us, and we take on your clothes, which brings us the blessing of our Father. And so there is no shame. There is no shame. Would you do the work that only you can do? I can preach the word, but you, Spirit of God, have to heal these minds and set these minds free. And so we ask for it, God. As they, by faith, take hold of this word, as they, by faith, take hold of it, we want to thank you that you're able to set them free. I declare the prophetic promise of God, your future. You can be whole as a person. You can be whole in your covenant relationships. You can be whole with the rest of humanity because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Receive it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.